0: My name is uh, Como, and you're listening to the My Tech Decisions Podcast. Technician's podcast. Like I said, my name is Zach and I'm your host. Cybersecurity has obviously been in the news a lot over the last few months, with ransomware probably the most pressing issue that IT professionals are dealing with. Ransomware operators are becoming increasingly more sophisticated in their attack methods and they're adopting new tools and techniques that are making these attacks even harder to defend against, says today's guest, Brian Linder, a cybersecurity evangelist with Checkpoint Software. Before we get to the Brian. Here's a quick reminder to subscribe and download the podcast on iTunes to hear weekly interviews with IT experts that can help you make the right decisions for your company. And now here's Brian. Yeah, so, what are you guys seeing? Um, you know, in terms of ransomware over the last uh, about you know a year and a half, um, eighteen months.
1: We've seen a tremendous. Actually, the word explosion explosion would be appropriate in oh, okay. ransomware. Just in the last six months, we've seen ransomware, uh, surging by 93%, um, mostly because it's such a successful thing. It's a business model, you know, and an industry, and it's been so successful in and profitable for these bad actors that, that, uh, you know, they see how successful it is and it's just resulted in an absolute explosion of it. Um, you know, we see introduction, I think we're going to talk about things like triple extortion and some other things, but on the order of 1,200 organizations are falling victim to a ransomware attack every week, so uh, it is a huge, huge explosion in uh, in um, success for the bad actors, and unfortunately for many companies, the falling victim yeah. to it.
0: And I think that squares um, with well as all the headlines we're seeing about ransomware. Um, you know, so it's safe to say that you know those, those headlines about you know warning us that you know this is happening and this is a wake-up call. Um, you know, do you think that
1: is a wake-up call? Well, let me start by saying that the, certainly the public instances of, of successful ransomware, like like the meatpacking uh, plant, the Colonial Pipeline, more recently mm-hmm. one that maybe wasn't as well known was Kaseya, which was uh, another supply chain attack uh, that hit a lot of small businesses. These are certainly increasing the public's awareness of it, but I should be careful to say that ransomware didn't start with the public uh yeah. the publicist you know it's 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 been around for quite some time and evolving over years but uh certainly the public the public things that have you know things that have been publicized recently have helped bring it up to the forefront
0: mm-hmm. and how exactly is, is it evolving and, and you know what, what kind of uh, tactics are they using you know over, over the last year and a half
1: that you guys have seen Okay. So let me tell you, first of all, that the ransomware is an industry. It's not a a attack type. We don't consider it to be, uh, it's not done by kids in a basement. It these days it's, it is done by organized groups that are well-funded, uh, that are innovative, that, uh, that are, are extremely patient. And that wasn't true a couple of years ago. You go back a couple of years, it may have been, uh, either a nation state attack or a couple of kids you know organized in a basement that wanted to see if they could make some money it's far different today today it's evolved into a highly organized highly profitable industry now there's a, there's a couple other ways that it's it's evolved if you if you'd like i can share with you this notion of as a service which is actually okay it's fascinating but also a bit disturbing um, you know as a, as a white hat uh, for instance my company checkpoint sells products we have partners and those partners participate with us in getting the word out and selling solutions in, you know, to different markets in different countries, et cetera. Well, ransomware as an industry has developed, if you can believe this, a similar partner model. So some uh, bad actors have built these platforms. If you think about a Salesforce or you think about uh, any, you know, a, 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 any ERP system that's, you know, in the cloud, an mm-hmm. Office 365, those are platforms that people can buy. They can pay a monthly fee and they can use those platforms. Well, these bad actors have organized these platforms for ransomware as a service. So let me let me give it to you this way. Let's say you have someone that decides they want to uh, do a ransomware attack. They can go seek out one of these sort of, <laughs> I call a business partner, it sounds funny, but they can go seek out one of these platforms, these ransomware as a service platforms. They can agree with the provider to share the profits of the ransomware attack, so the, the person launching the attack and the platform provider agree to, like, split the profits. I'm oversimplifying slightly. But it's made it so easy for someone to, com- you know, commence one of these attacks because these, all the tools are built already. Uh, it's not a matter of having to reinvent wheels. And these these tools are evolving. They're, they're well-funded research. There's experts working on them. And uh, they they have a variety of tool options that one can select. So that is probably one of the biggest things that has happened. And I'll I'll talk about a few more. But that that kind of innovation and making it easy for bad actors to use uh, tools that are out there makes it much much more pervasive. It doesn't require you know you to be a total cybersecurity expert in all ways. You can choose from a menu of of attack types. Let's say for example from this platform. I'll give you another example. I can talk about. I'll talk about uh, leverage, and we call them. Uh, it's it's in terms of extortion. Would you like me to share a little yeah, bit about? Okay, please. let's talk about let's talk about the first ransomware attack. And again, just being simple, first ransomware attack basically was accomplished by tricking somebody into clicking on something, and they clicked on that thing, and that thing began to encrypt their machine, and then figured out ways to spread around the network, and it, encrypt all the other machines. And at the end of the process a ransom note was produced that said basically, hey, uh, victim, you have to pay us X amount of money, and uh, we will then give you a key to decrypt. And that is, I'll call that the single, a single vector of extortion, okay? Or to say it simply, a single extortion ransomware attack. You almost never hear it said that way, but it's evolved into now, let's say, double extortion. Double extortion is very simple. This time, the trick, they trick a user into clicking on something or they exploit what we call a zero-day exploit and somehow get into the network. And then they sit there. The attacker sits there discovering the network, discovering the target, performing reconnaissance, and they're very patient. And at the right time, they do what's called exfiltration, which is just another way of saying they steal data quietly out of the organization. They steal it quietly. And the case, for instance, of the Colonial Pipeline attack, A lot of data was stolen. It's rumored that some of the data may have been actual plans for the pipeline itself. Uh, Valves, uh, the way the pipeline was built, the design of the pipeline, which is very scary. Now, the bad actors hold on to that data. Then they begin encrypting all the machines with ransomware. And of course, that disrupts the organization completely. And then they issue the following threat. They say, hey, pipeline, either you pay us the ransom that we are demanding Or we're going to not only leave you with encrypted machines, but we're going to disclose all that data. Maybe it's customer data, financial data. Maybe it's uh, operational network data like pipelines or electrical grids, things that would be very, very detrimental to the organization that has been attacked if it were to make it out into the real world. So that's called double extortion. So what does that do? That creates even more leverage that allows the bad actors to have more leverage to demand a payment of the ransom and force things to happen. So you with me so far? Yeah, of course. Let's go one level further. Let's talk about the modern era, last six months or so. I'll tell you about a third level of extortion that has been introduced. And again, the more dimensions of extortion we've got, the more leverage these bad actors have called, this is called triple extortion. So triple extortion says, I get into the network, I exfiltrate data. I encrypt all the machines and I threaten if the organization does not pay the ransom. I threaten to make robocalls, for example, to customers, to shareholders, to partners, even to the press, even Mm. to stock analysts. So imagine if you don't pay the ransom, we're going to let all the stock analysts know that you've been attacked and likely drive, you know, maybe some percentage of your market value out of the market. So tremendous leverage, which, you know, would lead you to say, well, are people paying these ransoms? Should they um, or should they not? I can talk more about that if you'd like.
0: Well, first, how how prevalent is that, is that triple extortion? That's that's something that I haven't heard much of.
1: So double extortion, very, very prevalent. You can expect right. to see triple extortion uh, making making a huge, you know, uh, call it splash. It sounds funny, but making an increasing appearance. It's been appearing in the last six months. And we do uh, expect this to be highly exploited. It's actually fairly easy to do it. Why? Because these these bad actors could steal customer names and phone numbers before even starting the attack. And then they're in their wings and ready. They, they have a tool on their platform. They load that data up and they have their finger on the go button. And if somebody says, we won't pay your ransom, they hit enter and the robocalls start. Robocalling is... Yeah. It's nothing uh you know particularly complicated, so I do expect that
0: so given that how important is it for for uh, organizations to be you know as transparent as possible when you know they are hit with the, with this kind of attack and kind of get out in front you know of the bad actors and and not just that, but you know share information you know among the good guys because I think the bad guys are a lot better than at that than than we are
1: I'll give you two answers okay answer one is that we ought to be looking at ransomware and the threat before it happens, and it is possible to put controls in place that protect against it. So we can talk more about that. But the short of it is that controls, and based on our own checkpoints research, can be put in place to stop an attack should it begin. However, stopping the attack of, uh, and when I say stopping it, I mean preventing, for instance, a user from ever having a link to even click on, or mm-hmm. Once a ransomware attack were to start, actually stop it dead in its tracks. But let's move forward past that. Let's say the unfortunate moment happens where some, you know, a company has been hit with it and they've been encrypted and now they're being extorted because their data has been stolen and maybe you know they're threatening to call, you know, sh- uh, shareholders or whatever. At that point, every organization, no matter who you are, big small, faces the same, unfortunately, very difficult question: is whether they should pay the ransom or not. And I can tell you that over and over we get asked this question um, and we get asked it at all levels and, you know, by all in all parties. My CEO was recently asked it as well. And there's no one answer to give. I can give you the pure answer, which is we recommend that if possible, don't pay that ransom. Um, you know, hopefully you've had the right protections in place ahead of time. For instance, controls, good backups. Uh, you're, you 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 maybe have rehearsed the scenarios, all those things. But let's say you have arrived at this ransomware attack and you haven't done any of those things. Let's say you're a small business uh, that just didn't even think about it or maybe said, oh, we'll never be a target. um, And, you know, we don't need to worry about that. Well, then comes the difficult decision of should they pay the ransom? And our view basically is sometimes you may decide to pay that ransom. There's absolutely no guarantee that your data will be, you know, will not be disclosed and your devices will be unencrypted. But you know, it's a tough decision for a business to have to make. And sometimes they do have to decide to pay that ransom to keep their business going. Right,
0: right. Um, I think um, a lot a lot of people, I think, are of the belief that, you know, probably one of the main ways that, that ransomware, you know, gets in the first place is through email or, or phishing attacks. You know, don't click on any links in your email. I think we're told that all the time by IT professionals. Um, are there any other, uh, you know, Methods that we need to look out for. Um, I know exploiting zero days is an expensive and time-consuming thing, but uh, you know, is that, some, is that something that IT guys need to look out for now?
1: So everything everything you've said is true. First of all, one of the main ways that <clears throat> excuse me, one of the main ways that bad actors get in is by tricking some somebody into clicking on something. So social engineering, uh, a phishing attack, figuring out a way to get a, a file with malware downloaded by way of a click. Those are, that's one major vector of attack of starting these these uh, these ransomware attacks. The other way is through, like as you said, through this notion of zero-day uh, vulnerabilities, which means a vulnerability that was either recently discovered, or maybe it wasn't recently discovered, but the particular organization never patched for it because I think, as you correctly pointed out, it takes a lot of investment and time and skill to continually be patching every single system across every aspect of the of the uh, of the environment to prevent against the exploitation of this, which for all practical purposes can be very difficult. With that said, there are controls you can put in place, like in your network at the head of your network or in your cloud instances, that unify the threat prevention capabilities, such as those that we provide. But you know, we provide those solutions so that they're let's say putting a, uh, a an instance of a network security gateway ahead of a cloud gate uh, instance to protect it against bad traffic flows that exploit zero days. So threat prevention is something we think about 24 hours a day, whether it's endpoint or whether it's, you know, in cloud or on the mobile device, you name it, to prevent the exploitation of that. With that said, Cassia, which was one of the more famous ones that happened while everybody was watching fireworks on July 4th, uh, exploited in part a zero a zero day, uh, vulnerability that had recently been discovered and was in the process of being fixed. So that was a very clever uh, move on the bad actor's part to exploit that. Very difficult to protect against. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's another way that happens.
0: Yeah. So, you know, we've been told, um, you know, anytime there's one of these attacks, you know, everyone comes out saying, um, you know, implement um, two-factor authentication, um, you know, start your backups offline. You um, you know, I think that's, that's the bare minimum of what, we, of what, you know, any good IT department should do. Um, you know, going forward as as ransomware is, is, you know, getting increasingly sophisticated and, you know, increasing frequency, what do we
1: need to do to step it step up? Okay. First things first, uh, two-factor authentication definitely is an important step. By no means is that the only step and won't stop many ransomware attacks. The first thing you have to realize is that, like, like, is that social engineering is a tried and true method and that getting people to trick, getting, p- tricking people into clicking on a link is probably something not going away anytime soon. So we want protections in place, both on an endpoint or a mobile or in the network or in the cloud, in the data center, that are fronting these actions and trying to either stop the link that, the the, the malware link or the phishing link to show up in the first place. And by the way, the bad actors are clever, so it is not a trivial thing to do. So you have leaders in the in the market like Checkpoint to do it. But number one, stop them from getting that link. But number two, should it actually happen, the controls can be put into place that can stop it in its tracks on a laptop, for example. So, you know, sense that it started and stop it right there. The bigger challenge, of course, is that if someone does click on a link or inadvertently uh, allows malware to come into the network by way of a of a, do, you know, like a Word document or you name it, um, that reconnaissance can go for months even before a ransomware attack starts and could be the vector. So, hey, we compromised your network, we've been in it for months, your uh, devices maybe, but we've got this data and you don't, either you pay us or we're gonna, we're, That's that's where that, you know, that's a big legitimate threat there. So what I would say is basically, number one, Factor authentication. Number two, make sure you're air gapping your backups. Make sure backups that get made are being kept offline. Number three. Goals to stop the user from being the weakest link. Stop them from being able to click on a on a on a link, or if they pull down a document, let's whiten that document, get rid of the dynamic content that usually would lead to an attack. Well, that that would stop it if it starts or stop the traversing of it or you know, kill it. That happens. So there's quite a strategy to it, and these all things all have to be looked at before the attack, not after it.
0: Um, I think any any uh, technology professional will say that um, end user awareness is probably just as important as all the things you mentioned. How important is is constant communication between you know the IT department and end users about you know what they're seeing, um, you know what they're defending against.
1: And you know how can that how can we use that to help educate the users? So I think I think training is it's not mandate. it's not I'm sorry, security awareness training is not it's not an option. It's an absolutely mandatory piece. You have odds down, and that's what it will do for you. You know, you figure out of a hundred users, maybe you can train, I would say conservatively fifty to sixty percent of them to not do something that they shouldn't do. Mm-hmm. But where things get cloudy is when we talk about Things like phishing attacks, where, or an even more clever kind of attack, where the first thing, say, you're sent items uh, out of your email, they know who you're emailing on a run, and then they're spoofing those people, uh, asking you to do things, click on things, and these look like emails. So you have to admit, you being a cybersecurity expert, me being savvy, you know, many of us. We probably would be socially engineered to click on something without much thinking if it looked like it came from somebody legitimate or an executive. There's no question about that. We were just in I uh, just was talking to a CFO of a nonprofit, a huge nonprofit the other day. and they were talking to senior level people in finance who are trained, they were given security awareness training, were uh, receiving emails that appeared to be uh, quite cleverly from their CEO. And they appeared to be coming from the top. There was no visible way of knowing and uh, the loss to the company. So, you know, it's not so simple as, hey, don't click on any link ever. Most people are are not. It looks like it's coming from somebody convincing. You're probably more apt to to fall victim to a social. We need to continue it, but certainly it's not the only thing at all.
0: Right. I apologize. I keep uh, losing you for a few seconds uh, here and there. I think uh, the recording will probably pick it up, but I uh, apologize. I tried to switch off the camera to see if that would help, but I don't think it did.
1: Um, Hang on one second. Let me, let me take a step yeah. here to try to help that. Just one second. Sure. Fine.
0: Uh, teams is not the greatest when it comes to uh, consistency.
1: How about now? Better? Better? A little bit better. Uh, so far,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. Okay. Yeah, I think it's better than the jerk.
1: Do you want me to answer the question again? Have I been dropping the whole time, or is it just that uh, one? No,
0: I, I think the recording will probably pick it up. The recording usually picks it up, even if uh, even if uh, it's dropped on my end. Okay. So, um. So that should be okay. Um. I I i, I thinking about this a lot. Um. Since ransomware, it, it seems pretty lucrative. Um. Why, do, why, why bother uh, joining the good guys? <laughs> you know, why not? <laughs> why not just uh, quit checkpoint and uh, you know. Work with uh,
1: work with mays or or are evil. I'm gonna I'll I can answer that quite simply. Um, there's there's a higher calling, yeah. for a cybersecurity industry full of people who want to stop this illicit behavior. Um, even though I I have to laugh and uh, even I think I'm just amazed by the cleverness and and how well funded these these bad mm. actors are. But much like any criminal activity, you know we don't want to see that. And there's most people in the industry do not want to see. This happening. I'll I'll give you another one. You know, a lot of it uh, seems at times to be sponsored by nations, and you know, so we see it as our mission to to do the right thing and protect against it. Uh, It's it's actually uh, wreaking havoc on many aspects of the economy that we don't want to see. Right,
0: right, yeah. The the um, Colonial Pipeline attack was particularly pretty pretty uh, scary. That's a scary one. Yes, it was. Especially it. Yeah, I'm struggling.
1: You know, the science fiction scene when all the lights go out in the city and it's like the you know yes. world seems to be ending yep. just to be clear that that one, one time that seemed like science fiction and the fun, like cool in a movie. But let me tell you something that that the pipeline being the public example of it demonstrated the viability of that actually happening. So our utilities, our grids are and I don't just mean the I mean, gas, electric, the pipelines, I mean that pipeline attack had a tangible impact on people's lives here on the East Coast and uh, woke a lot of people up, and I think that's at least a good thing that it created a more awareness of it, even at the uh, the sea levels in in most companies. That wait a minute, maybe we should be engaging our board of directors and mm-hmm. becoming a little more savvy about this before we fall victim to it.
0: Right. So, so you know, in order to I guess uh, you know win uh, more of an IT budget and you know just you know more funding for cybersecurity solutions at your organization. Um you know, do you, do you sound that alarm or do you approach it uh, in, in a much more measured manner with, you know, data and facts to, to bring to your to your board to advocate for that funding? Well, first of or all, the, you just simply just, just bang a table and sound the alarm.
1: I'm going to say that the highly publicized attacks that that even the least savvy security, cyber cybersecurity savvy boards of directors and CEOs and even CFOs, although it's I think you're hard pressed today to find. Someone in the C-suite who is at least at least not thinking about it, whether they have any knowledge about it, that's okay. Mm-hmm. But uh, it used to be fighting for budget was a major uphill battle because you didn't have these publicized uh, things like, for instance, Sunburst, but then even more so the pipeline attack, for example, or the meatpacking attack, where maybe some of those people were actually affected by it. So I think now having those conversations is is a lot easier than it was. Uh, there's other factors that get involved, like cybersecurity, insurance, and and whether or not that covers this and that, so you know, the, I think the thing is we haven't. We're in a moment now where you know the CISOs of the world can get that audience with the board of directors and with the CEO. Will they be successful? Well, that would depend on the savvy, how savvy your your C suite is, your CSOs and your CFOs to make the business understand that all it takes is one of these emails, for example, to get through out of a thousand, someone clicks on that. So maybe they ought to look at making investments ahead of time in stopping that one email, rather than chasing down a ransomware payment, which frankly could be, you know, a debilitating thing. Some boards might see the payment of a ransomware uh, uh, ransom to be the cost of doing business, but it doesn't need to be. There are ways to protect against it.
0: How, how encouraging is it that this is getting, you know, uh, you know, a lot of exposure in the news and, um Apparently, it's really bringing um, together a lot of different organizations in public and private sectors to really kind of go on the offensive against these groups. Now, how you know, that all the way year? up, to,
1: all the way up to the president of the United States, and he had exactly. issued an executive order. So the answer is it's a double edged sword. First of all, the attacks and the innovation. I say when I say innovation, I mean not only for the white hats like us, but for the black hats as well, the bad actors. So that's been happening. What the visibility, what this what these publicized stories have done is raise visibility probably to the executive level that maybe was only vaguely known. But for those, let's say you have a CEO who regularly reads The Wall Street Journal, for example, which many do. well, these these have been covered tremendously there. So I think your average CEO would be more educated today because of it. but it also, I think you mentioned this earlier, it also stimulates uh, kind of an excitement in the bad actor community that, hey, wait, these are working. I mean, we can we can turn around and collect ransoms and be, get rich from it. Uh, let's let's jump on that bandwagon. So you know people see that they've been successful with it, and the bad actors are going to also try to capitalize on that. So it's uh like a free market economy there. Um. Yeah. Uh, so, but I think overall it's helped to raise the awareness of it in the world, uh, among especially among businesses that are potentially impacted by it. Mm. And you know,
0: you know, like like you said, you know, has the you know attention of the, of the president with the executive order and, um, you know, these, you know, urgings around the nation states to kind of, you know, hey, knock it off or, you know, we'll retaliate in some way. Um, you know, do you think, uh, you know, on, on like a geopolitical scale, you know, what do you think, you know, needs to be done?
1: Here's what I think's happening. First of all, on a geopolitical scale, my my opinion is there's a lot of posturing that goes on there. The president is doing what his advisors are telling him to do, which is threaten retaliation. But, what is retaliation? So sure, we could launch a nation-state attack. The United States could launch nation-state attacks against other adversaries who are claimed to be to be doing it. But let me emphasize that that these successful attacks are not they're they're not nation-sponsored necessarily, but they are obviously operating within let's say a, a nation-state. So I'm, I'm not saying that the government uh, uh, incentivized those groups to do it. More than likely, most of them are just mo- motivated by money which is, you know, their own money, but then they're allowing it to happen. So what the president is trying to do, obviously, is put pressure on governments to crack down on these bad actors. But boy, it's a hot it's a hot topic because there's a whole underground going on. I think most people listening would probably be aware what you're reading in the news is just the tip of the surface. There's an entire community operating underground. I'll give you an example. Revel, which was one of, as you mentioned, one of the one of the most prevalent groups recently. It's a good concrete example of it. Revel was recently behind, of course, major attacks and we can itemize them out. But what happened to Revel? Well, Revel uh, suddenly one day they shut down. I don't know if you you, some people may not know that, but that that platform suddenly shut down and uh, people said, oh, it's a cause for celebration. This is great. We're winning the fight. And let me tell you what happened more than likely. By the way, this is opinion, not fact, but more than likely what happened? They took that platform. They are moving it. They're improving it. They're going to give it a new name that you won't even hear about until the next grand attack. And they probably signaled all of their partners on that platform about what they were doing uh, in some, you know, subversive way. And all their partners followed them. So while yeah. we somebody was celebrating the end of Revel as oh yeah. we're winning, was it? So I would say I put to you that uh, things are happening that people aren't aware of. Nonetheless. The president did what he had to do, which was put out a message that says we're not going to stand for this. Whether they can actually put teeth behind it, it's really up to uh, you know many organizations in the federal government to comply with a very complicated set of guidelines. If you've read the executive order, it could take years for that. It's the federal government; they move at the speed of you know uh, very slowly. Uh, even if funded, it, should, it would take them quite a while. Right.
0: Um, kind of kind of a you know boilerplate question when it comes to cyber attacks, but I know. Um People think, oh, you know, these are nation states, you know, acting on on behalf of, you know, Russia, China, Iran, or whatever. Why do they care about my small business selling, you know, pastries, you know, on on Main Street? Now, why should I care? Why Why would they want to, you know, um, uh, you know, extort me because uh, you know I'm not going to be able to pay, um, you know, the ransom of the ransom for it? Why What they want with my data?
1: First thing, um, let me give you let me give you two views on that. Number one. Uh, The ransomware attackers are in a business. They're an industry and they're in a business. So the first thing they evaluate when they go to attack a victim is what could they pay? Usually they'll ask more than they could pay and then there's a negotiation that follows. But now let me tell you about a more interesting aspect we call amplification. Okay, it's very simple. Let me take let me take the Kaseya uh, attack that happened on July 4th while, again, everybody was totally offline, every security team was with their families, just like everybody else in the United States watching fireworks and listening to the Star Spangled Banner. Let me explain what, what they did there. That particular attack involved compromising a software vendor, well-intentioned as they were, who was uh, supplying managed service providers, who those those service providers in turn had thousands and thousands of customers. So now you've achieved a scale. You asked me, why would like the local dentist's office worry about ransomware? Well that dentist's office or small business, whatever it was, now became part of 1,500 victims, okay? Now, maybe the ransoms expected and demanded were not all that big. Maybe they were matched up with the size of the dentist's office. But the more interesting aspect of that one was uh, uh, they put a price tag on a single uh, decryption key that could be bought to fix the entire problem at once, okay? So presumably the leverage there was, hey, Kaseya, who was the originator of the platform, hey Kaseya, uh, you pay us uh, this amount of money in the millions or tens of millions, and we will provide you a decryption key that you can send around to all of the users of your platform and instantly fix the problem. Or we can piecemeal it and charge the dentist office, you know, five thousand dollars. And by the way, those dentist's office wouldn't even know what ransomware was. They wouldn't even know what. They may not even have been aware they were using the software that was impacted by this. It was right. probably a very blindsiding moment. They probably had to read about it in on CNN or something. They probably had no idea what was even happening. Right. Um, so that's the leverage there. Hey, let's attack a lot of small businesses at once, and then let's put a price on on a, a ransomware, uh, a ransom that that fixes them all at once and try to get someone right. to pay it. The, the government, uh, the company that has, you know, big big enterprise that has cyber insurance, I don't know, you know, at the top of the food chain. Let's get them to pay it. So I think that's where the... But any company, no matter how big or small, and again, even if you're like a local pizza place or a dentist office, again, there's simple controls you can deploy to stop uh, these things from happening, uh, and 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 stop worrying about them. Like deploying controls on the machines in the dentist office, it's not so hard to do. Got to keep them up to date, so you got to pay an IT guy to help you out. Uh, but it doesn't require a rocket science degree to to maintain that. We have companies like Checkpoint, and we have an ecosystem of of uh, partners. It's for example that help keep those things up to date so that people like Dennis office don't have to think about it. Right.
0: Speaking of, uh, say in that, that, universal decryption key, um, so they apparently got it somehow. They allegedly didn't pay for it. Um, how do, you, how do you, how do you think they, how do you think they end up with the, with the decryption
1: key? I can tell you how the decryption key was probably gotten, although I can't share that, that this is, this is opinion, not fact. You know, we we exist in a, in a in a in a in a in an ecosystem of white hats and black hats. There are as many really really sharp white hats as there are black hats. So my guess is that somebody set to task the best cyber minds in the country to go steal the key. You know, you think well, a ransomware platform operated by bad actors must be bulletproof. Probably not. Um, mm-hmm. you know, so being on the white hat side of it. Uh, somebody most likely tasked the group of the best that we had uh, in the world to go after and steal that key. The same way that in the the pipeline attack, the best minds were set to steal the Bitcoin wallet and empty it out to try to recoup some of that payment. So don't kid yourself. The White Hats are a Mm -hmm. very, very brave group of people who can go after what they want and get what they want. But, you know, it's a real problem for sure. For
0: sure. Uh, Brian, that does it for the questions I had. Is there anything else that you think, um, you know, our audience needs to
1: know. No, good luck. And uh, um, I think you're doing a great job educating uh, people on it. It's something that will be, definitely be, you know, extremely valuable and uh, they should heed the warnings for sure. Thanks for, uh, awesome. thanks for sitting down with us. Okay.
0: Yeah, of course. Thanks very much, Brian.
1: All right, Zach. Have a uh, great day. Take it easy. You too. Okay. Bye. Thanks. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening to another episode of the My Tech Decisions Podcast, where it's our mission to help you make technology decisions for your company. If you would like to learn more, head to mytechdecisions.com or follow us on Twitter at My Tech Decisions. You can also follow me on Twitter at ZW Como. Until next time.